So we had been going through the gospel according to John for a long, long time. Um, we are taking a break from that series this summer for a few weeks. Um, so this morning, if you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, and we are going to look at verses 19 through 25. Um, I'm be reading from the English Standard Version. Um, if you need a Bible, there are a couple on this table behind me. Feel free to grab one um, now or on your way out. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. All right, Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read this for us, and then I'll pray. <clears throat> Starting at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. Lord, you are great and mighty. Lord, you are the maker of all things, the giver and sustainer of life. Lord, you alone are worthy of all the praise. Father, I thank you for this opportunity that we have this morning to fellowship together. God, I thank you for your word, and I pray that as I preach your word, as we open your word together, God, it would speak to our hearts. Lord, that we would be changed, transformed, compelled by your word to live for you. Lord, would you use me during this time that as I speak, it wouldn't be about me, it wouldn't be about our church, it wouldn't be about anyone, but your glory and the exaltation of Christ Jesus. Lord, would you use this time not only for your glory, but for our good as well. Lord, be glorified in us today. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So why are we here? I don't mean why are we here on this planet, although that's a great conversation we could have as well. I mean, why are we here in this building this morning? Why are we gathered together in this assembly, in this fellowship on this Sunday morning? You know, if I were to ask people, why do you come to church? You know, if we took a survey, let's say, of 100 evangelical Christians and said, why do you go to church every single Sunday? You'd probably get a, a variety of answers, right? For some people, that's all they've ever known as they were raised in a household of faith, and all they've ever known is just going to church every Sunday, or for some people, they may believe that coming to church, that attending church is what makes them right with God, that that's how they earn his favor. And then some people may say, well, God's word clearly commands us to gather together, and they'd be right. That's true. God does indeed command us. He has instructed us to gather together. But what's the purpose of this gathering? Why do we get together and assemble weekly as we do. See, I believe it's incredibly important for us to get this right. 
Now, unfortunately, I think a lot of believers come in and then they leave and they go home and they never even consider the purpose of this gathering. I think a lot of Christians tend to have an unbiblical or an unhealthy view of church and what it means for us to participate in these corporate gatherings. You see, over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about a couple of different topics. We talked about evangelism and how it's important for us as Christians to share our faith when we have the opportunity to do so. And then last week, Pastor Dustin did a wonderful job of pushing us towards the importance of missions and reminding us of how it's really the church's job to train up missionaries and then to send them out. I actually love what Kat said in her video that we're holding the rope on the other end. Man, that's a great analogy, a great way to look at it. And so we've talked about a couple of different subjects over the last few weeks. Well, this morning, I want to talk about the importance of this gathering Specifically, it's purpose. Like, what do we gather for? And how does this gathering shape us and impact us to be people that live for God's glory? You know, if you've been part of CCF for any amount of time, then you've probably heard us say on multiple occasions that right thinking leads to right living. In other words, if we think about God and the scriptures and salvation and sin and all of these things appropriately, It should inevitably lead us to live as we ought as the people of God. You see, the gathering of the saints is a crucial part to the life of the believer. Corporate worship is essential in shaping us and transforming us as we're conformed to the image of Christ. But not only that, as we gather, we are a visible witness to the glories of Christ and his gospel to a watching world. And needless to say, it's important that we understand this correctly. You know, I'll be honest with you, man, this is a really simple message. And I have just two points that I want to make as we consider why do we gather. All right, so here are my two points. Number one, we gather for God's glory. We gather for God's glory. And then point number two is we gather to encourage and to equip the saints. To encourage and to equip the saints. You know, my hope is that as we have this discussion, we would have a proper understanding of why we gather, why we assemble, that we would understand the purpose of meeting together on each Lord's Day, and that by having this appropriate understanding that would lead us to respond accordingly, and we would go into the world and live for the glory of our King. Now, I do want to offer one disclaimer quickly. Now, there may be some people that are sitting here today in the congregation, and as I preach, you say, man, I really wish he would have addressed this. Or, man, he really could have talked about that. Why didn't he talk about this? There's a lot of things we could talk about. This is a much longer conversation, but I just want to remind you, I only get 45 minutes. You guys want to go eat lunch, right? Okay, so if that's you and you're feeling that tension, like, man, he could have talked about, yes, I probably could have, but I only get a limited amount of time. And this is an ongoing conversation, things we can continue to talk about. But I wanted to simplify it to these two points. Number one, why do we gather? We gather to worship God and for his glory. Now, when I began this sermon, I read this passage from Hebrews chapter 10. So the writer of Hebrews has one main purpose in writing this letter, to demonstrate the superiority of Christ. You see, if we were to narrow it down, what is the main idea of the letter of Hebrews? It's this, it's that Jesus is better. 
right? He is righteous. He is holy. He is glorious. He is altogether lovely. In his divine perfection, he is more excellent, more splendid, more worthy than everything and everyone. Jesus is greater than Moses. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than Noah. He's higher than the angels. He's superior to the priests and the prophets. He is supreme, deserving of all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. And see here, when we get to chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that Christ is the perfect and complete sacrifice, the one who died once for all. You see, we are reminded of this sacrificial system, how the priests operated in the Old Testament. They would go and they would make offerings on behalf of the people. But this was something they had to do repeatedly over and over and over again. They could never truly take away the sins of the people with their offerings or their sacrifices. But when we get to chapter 10, verse 12, here in the book of Hebrews, we find what is a glorious truth, something that is so encouraging to us. I want to read this for us briefly just to give a little bit of context. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, and this is what it says. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You see, at one time, there were many priests making many offerings and many sacrifices that fell incomplete. But now, praise God, there's only one. The great high priest, the one who sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf, the perfect lamb that takes away the sins of the world. He is our mediator, our peace, the chief shepherd who perfectly and completely atones for our sins. That is the Lord Jesus. You see, the writer of Hebrews then goes on from here to remind us of the realities of this new covenant we have, the eternal blessing we receive as being God's people, that the Lord has promised to remember our sins no more, that we are forgiven, and because of Christ and his sacrifice, we no longer require any offering of sin. Our sins are covered. The wrath of God has been appeased. We are clothed in the perfect and eternal righteousness of Christ Jesus, our Savior. And you see, when we get here to verse 19, our text for this morning, it says, therefore. Now, the word therefore serves as a bridge between this section and the one that precedes it. So we've been directed to the glories of Christ as our perfect sacrifice, and now we're pointed to him as the foundational motivation for all that we say and do. You see, to the writer of Hebrews, he says that Christ is the risen Savior, and that's what should compel us to obedience to the directive that follows. And this is what it says. He doesn't stop there. He says this. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, by the blood of Jesus, the new and living way that he's opened through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of Israel, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance and faith. Now, we'll stop right there just for a minute. So before driving home the importance of assembling together as the body of Christ, we are reminded once more of the eternal blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. It says we have confidence 
to enter the holy places. Now, this would have been a reference to the temple. If you recall, the holy place was uh, inside of the sanctuary, inside of the temple, and it was a place that only the priests could enter. You see, there was a veil or a curtain that symbolically separated men from the presence of God. But when Christ's flesh was torn on the cross, the curtain was also torn, and now through him we have access to God. We can draw near to the Lord confidently by the blood of Christ. See, as the people of God, we can freely come before our God. Christ has given us this wonderful access to the Lord. See, as we consider the magnificent implications of these gospel truths, that should serve as our primary motivation for gathering together on the Lord's day. So when we ask the question, why do we gather? The primary reason is for the glory of our God. Brothers and sisters, that has to be our starting point. That must be what compels us to meet together, to give glory to God. Church, that is why we are here, for God's glory. We're here for him. We're not here for my glory. We're not here for the glory of CCF or the glory of mankind. We're here to give glory and honor to God, give him all the praise and honor that he is due. We are here to gather, to exalt, and elevate the name of our king, to lift high the name of Jesus. Listen, church isn't about me. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. It's not about you either. We're here for Christ Jesus. Listen, I think a lot of us, this is where we stumble. And maybe I'll step on some toes here. I don't mean to. Actually, I do. Because <laughs> I love you. But I think sometimes we come in and we visit churches and we have preferences, don't we? We think the church is supposed to conform to our image rather than we being conformed to the image of Christ. So people will come into a church service and, oh, well, yeah, everything was great. They preached the word. It was wonderful. The fellowship was, ah, but I just didn't like the music. It's a little too slow for me. Oh, man, everything was great. Loved the fellowship. The music was on point. All that was, oh, but man, the pastor just, he was a little dry. He wasn't as animated as I would have liked. Well, did he preach the word? Yeah, he did. It was, it was biblically faithful. It just was kind of boring. I didn't really like it. And so what we have is we find a bunch of believers who leave a gospel-preaching church that is uh, discipling their people where fellowship is happening and maturity is happening because they didn't like the music or they didn't serve the coffee that I liked. Right? We come into church and in this gathering a lot of times with preferences, and we make those preferences our priorities. And that's where we drop the ball and we miss the mark because we must remember church isn't about me and it's not about you. It's to give praise to our king. That's why we gather together. That's why we gather together. Here's a great place for us to pause and ask ourselves, what is the reason that I come every week? Why am I here? Why do I get up every Sunday morning and attend this gathering? It's my desire to give glory to God. Do I come in here to offer him praise and thanksgiving? Am I here for God? Is that my motivation? Or is it something else? I'm simply checking a box so I can say that I went to church today. Is it 
for appearances, to maintain a particular image. I mean, it could really be any number of things, honestly, and we'll talk about this more in just a minute, specifically some of the ways that we stumble in this area. But brothers and sisters, the reason that we gather, this is a simple concept, it's for God's glory. It's to exalt him. I think this is something we can all agree on, amen? Throughout the scriptures, we consistently see this command to glorify God. It's there. Texts like 1 Chronicles 16, 23, and 24 says, Let the whole earth sing to the Lord, proclaim his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations, his wondrous works among all the peoples. Or Psalm 29, 2, which says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in splendor and in holiness. Psalm 115, verse 1 says, Not us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. I could go on and on. The Bible is full of this command to give glory to God. Again, that's something I believe we all understand. This is Most likely not new information for any of us in this room this morning. But if we live and gather for the purpose of worshiping God and giving glory to his name, we are reminded here that that requires a particular posture. You see, verse 22 says, draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Brothers and sisters, that means our hearts must also be engaged in our worship. Listen, if we want to be obedient to the Lord, then we must understand that appropriate worship flows from having the appropriate affections and desires for the Lord Jesus, and that begins with our hearts. I think this is an incredibly significant point, focusing on the hearts of believers. You know, sometimes we come in here and our hearts are disengaged. I can raise my hand and say that that's been me multiple times. When I say disengaged, I don't mean that like maybe you're going through a hardship and uh, maybe you're in a dry season and you just feel like the Lord is distant and you're just having a hard time making sense of everything and you just, you just don't have it when you come in here. Maybe you're feeling a little bit detached. That's not what I mean when I say that we're disengaged. When I say our hearts often become disengaged, what I mean is that we gather and we simply engage in this as an intellectual exercise that we just come in here to work out our minds. Sometimes we come in here and we're only hoping to have our minds informed. It's only our minds that are engaged in this service. Like we come in here hoping to brush up on our theology. And our hearts aren't engaged. Like we just come in here to prove that we're great theologians or to prove that others are not just becomes an intellectual exercise. It's academic. Now, I want to be clear. Should we be students that consistently study under the authority of the scriptures, having our minds renewed, being shaped and transformed by the word of God? Absolutely. Yes and amen. The word of God is essential to our gathering. That's why we preach the scriptures. We sing the scriptures. We read the scriptures. We pray the scriptures. If the word of God isn't present in our services, we have no business meeting together. So that's not what I'm saying. In fact, you go to the book of Acts and, uh, where the new, uh, the, in the New Testament where the church was established, you see that they gathered together and they were devoted to what? The apostles' teaching. The Word of God has a primary place amongst our services. Amen? We should 
study, read, preach, sing, pray the word of God. But this gathering isn't simply to serve some sort of intellectual exercise. You see, knowledge without affection only makes us Pharisees with full heads and empty hearts. We should have hearts that are actively engaged in worshiping God. You see, if we only gather for the desire to exercise our minds and not our hearts, see, if we only come in here to be auditors of the service, that's an issue. That's a problem. We've misunderstood the purpose of this gathering. You see, drawing near with a true heart is an appeal to our affections. If we are God's people who have been born again to this living hope, as Peter says, then should we not have more than an intellectual response to the gospel message? I want you to think about the sinful woman in Luke chapter 7. She walks into that dinner at the Pharisee's home, and what does she do? She weeps. She weeps on Jesus' feet and begins to wipe her tears and wipe his feet with her hair. She's overwhelmed in the presence of her Savior. And she has what I'll call an emotional response, if you will. And I know that word makes some people uncomfortable. But she's overwhelmed by her affections and the glory of her Savior. And she responds to that. That's the right response to the gospel. If you understand that you're a sinner saved by grace and that God in his love for you sends his son to die in your place, to atone for your sins and give you abundant, eternal life because he loves you. His wrath has been appeased. He swapped positions with you. Jesus takes the wrath of God so that you can be free if you understand that and you've been born again to that reality. The right response is one of affections that have been stirred towards God. I do want to be clear. I'm not saying that every time you attend this gathering or you come in here that you should fall down in the floor and cry and weep. That's not what I'm saying. But you don't need to fall down on your knees and be overcome with emotion every time you enter into this gathering or hear the gospel proclaimed. But what I am saying is that our hearts should be engaged in worship just as much as our minds. And I think we often miss this mark. Again, I want to say something that's probably a little bit controversial here. Don't get nervous. <clears throat> I think a lot of us are scared of emotion. Act like emotions are a bad thing somehow. Listen, God's given us emotions for a reason. He's not created us as to be robots with full heads and empty hearts. We aren't to be people who come in here with our hands folded and our hearts are never engaged or stirred to respond to the gospel and all that God has done. It's okay if you're overwhelmed with emotion when you consider your Savior, Jesus Christ. When you really understand all that he's accomplished for you, the incredible sacrifice he made to purchase your freedom. God's lavished his love on you. That should stir your affections. In fact, if you come in here and you hear the gospel preached 
and Jesus is proclaimed, and all that God has accomplished on behalf of his people, and you don't have any kind of affections for Christ, there is no kind of response, man, then I would question, that, that's an issue. That's an issue. If it's just let me come in here every Sunday and prove how great I am as a theologian or how my theology is better than everybody else's, and I just want to have my mind informed, that's a problem. That's an issue. Heart should be engaged as we worship and gather for the glory of God. Now, another disclaimer I'll offer you is we are not here every Sunday to try to manufacture anything. We're not trying to produce a particular environment hoping to create or generate an emotional response from the people in our congregation. We don't want to try to force or manipulate anything. But my hope is that as Christ is preached and you behold the glory of the Lord, that we would respond appropriately with rightly ordered affections. And it's also important to note that we're not all going to respond the same way. We're not all going to be the woman weeping at the feet of Jesus. The way I respond to the gospel may look differently than you. It may be a quiet posture of my heart. As my affections are stirred for my Savior, it may not be a visible manifestation. That's not what I'm saying. I want to make sure I'm clear on that. Again, it's a simple point that I want to make. We're here for the glory of God. We're here to worship and praise him. One of the primary ways we do that is by having hearts that are engaged. Jesus says to love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Not just a mind. Also, not just the heart. It all works together. That's how we worship him as entire beings. And just my encouragement would be, don't neglect that, that heart posture. Don't come in here just as an academic to see how much you can learn or to show how much you know. And one final comment I want to make as it pertains to this point. For the believer, giving God worship is not something we only do on Sunday mornings. Like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Then he writes again in Romans chapter 12 and tells us to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord. Listen, for the Christian, this isn't something that's exclusive to our worship gatherings on Sunday morning. All that we say and do should be to the glory of God. Amen? Amen. We are here for God's glory. So when I began this sermon, I said, why are we here? Then I said, not why are we on this planet, but if you want to talk about why we're on this planet and why we're given life, it's to give glory to God. All of creation is to demonstrate his glory. We are here and we meet and we gather every week to give praise to the risen Savior that is Jesus Christ. Point number two, we are here to encourage and to equip the saints. So after being reminded of all that God has done in Christ Jesus and being exhorted to draw near to him with a true heart, a heart that loves and believes the Lord Jesus, the writer of Hebrews now challenges us to encourage and to exhort one another. Let's look at verses 23 through 25 says this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, 
for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, just as we gather together for the glory of God, one of the other essential purposes for this gathering on the Lord's Day is to encourage our brothers and sisters. See, friends, this is one of the most glorious benefits of this weekly assembly is that we gather together and we're encouraged, we're challenged, we're spurred along by the fellowship of this covenant community. See, if you're a member of this church, then you're a believer who's made a profession of faith and demonstrated the fruits of regeneration. So you've agreed to covenant here with this body of believers. And that means we have a responsibility to each other to hold each other accountable and make sure that we're living in light of that profession of faith. So if you consider at the time of this writing, at the time that Hebrews was written, the church was facing intense persecution. Listen, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but sometimes the Christian life can be pretty difficult. Did you guys know that? Am I the only one? No? Okay. Life's difficult particularly following Jesus, can be trying. It can be costly. Sometimes we come in here and we're, we're discouraged. And there are times we don't feel like pressing on toward the goal. But as the writer of Hebrews remind us, reminds us, God is faithful to his promises. And so not only is God the one who preserves the saints, but he's also the one who has given us this family of faith. He's given us brothers and sisters that make up this local assembly He's given us these brothers and sisters as a means to encourage us and to spur us along as we walk in obedience to him. See, verse 24 says, let us consider how to stir up one another. See, the Greek word that is used there for stir up in its context, it means to stimulate or incite someone to do something. Brothers and sisters, that's, that's our job as we gather together. When we come into this place, there may be some of us that need a little bit more encouragement than others. Some of us require a little bit more attention than others as we are feeling beaten down and burdened and discouraged. Maybe we're feeling overwhelmed. You see, as we gather together, I am called to consider how I can light a fire under my brothers and sisters, how I can compel them to continue to move forward in obedience to Christ, living for his Glory, how can we encourage our fellow brothers and sisters when we meet together here every week? That's what we're called to do, to spur one another along, to continue to hold fast to the profession of faith that they've made, that we would encourage each other to continue running the race well. That's why God's given us this family. That's why he's graciously gifted us this body of believers. See, 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Colossians 3.16, the Apostle Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is what our relationship should consist of. This is what it looks like, and that's why we meet together to encourage one another so consistently. 
You see, as the body of Christ, the people of God, we have an obligation to care for one another. We have a unique relationship and a unique responsibility to this family of believers. You see, God has gone to great lengths by sending his son Jesus to gather both Jew and Gentile, old and young, male and female, every tribe, nation, and tongue. He's gathered us all into one people for his glory. Brothers and sisters, do we truly understand the significance of this family and the importance of this gathering? See, this local, visible expression of Christ's church, do we understand the significance of this? Are we truly committed to loving one another, to assembling together for the sake of encouraging our brothers and sisters, investing in the lives of one another, taking time to build each other up? to challenge each other, to hold fast to that profession of faith that we've made and to live for the glory of God. Is that how we view this gathering? Or again, is it just another thing to do? Just a box you can check to say you did it. How do we think about this gathering? What is our purpose for when we come in here every week? See, as part of this covenant community, we have a God-given obligation to care for one another. See, this family was purchased by the blood of Christ. I hope that informs the way you think about this gathering and the way that you think about the people sitting in the chairs next to you. See, the writer of Hebrews says we should stir one another up. But what does he say we should stir one another up to? To love and good works. So first, love. That's first and foremost. Our affections for God should be stirred, right? We should stir one another up, build each other up for our love for God, right? That's primary. We should consistently have our attention directed toward our heavenly Father, being regularly, uh, regularly reminded of all that he's done. So we're stirred up for our love for God. But not only should we have love for God, we should have love for one another, Listen, brotherly love is a significant commandment. It is a principal part of Christian fellowship. Again, as those ransomed and purchased by the blood of Christ as fellow heirs of the kingdom, we should have deep, genuine love for our brothers and sisters. That's why we should want to gather together with them regularly. In fact, Jesus says that our love for each other is evidence that we are actually his. John 13, 35, Jesus says by this, all men will know that you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. See, love should be an identifying mark of Christ's people, and it should be an ever-present reality amongst our gatherings. I mean, what a wonderful apologetic that could be to the watching world as we assemble together demonstrating Christ-like love for one another. See, not only should we push one another along in our affections for God and each other, but the writer of Hebrews tells us we should also stir one another up to good works. You see, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we are created for good works, which God has prepared for us beforehand so that we should walk in them. So this is a command, right, to compel one another towards good works. And with this command comes a bit of an equipping Components. And when I said we're here to encourage and equip, this is the equipping component here. 
You see, when we come together on the Lord's day, you should leave this service equipped by the word of God to go into the world and live as God has called you to live. You see, Paul says in Ephesians 4, that is why God has given certain gifts to the church and certain offices to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You see, when we gather together, we should be teaching and instructing God's people how to live out his commands, how to walk in these good works that he has prepared for us. Whether that's fulfilling the Great Commission by making disciples in your particular areas of influence, or whether that looks like evangelism to your neighbors or to your family or to your coworkers. Maybe it's caring for the sick, visiting those that are incarcerated. Maybe it's serving your neighborhood, your community, your church, whatever it might be. The gathering of this body should encourage and equip us in such a way that we're compelled to go into the world demonstrating the love of Christ and proclaiming this gospel message. However, the benefits of that encouraging and equipping are lost when we fail to gather together, which is why the word of God instructs us here not to neglect meeting together. You see, this fellowship is vital to the Christian life. This should be something we make a regular practice. This assembly isn't something that should be done casually. There's a real spiritual significance to the gathering on the Lord's day. You see, what takes place here is, is worship, teaching, equipping, encouraging, and it's for the welfare of believers. This is for your good. God has graciously given this to us for our benefit. You see, in the book of Acts, you see the early churches established. You see, there were those who had received the word of God and believed, and they were baptized. And then they, as they enter into the household of faith, they begin to meet together. They're part of this regular fellowship, and they meet together consistently. And Acts chapter 2 tells us that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, and they were committed to that fellowship. They were committed, a, a, a committed group of men and women that we call the people of God. And they met together consistently attending the temple and worshiping together. Brothers and sisters, why do we gather? Because God has commanded it. And it's for his glory and for our good. You see, for the benefit of your own soul and your own walk with Christ, I encourage you, do not neglect this gathering. And I know sometimes that can be easier said than done. Some Sunday mornings, maybe you wake up and you're just not feeling it. Maybe you had a rough night or, you know, you've just been, a, again, very disengaged recently. Sometimes it's hard to find the motivation to get up and come. Again, why do we gather? It's for the glory of God, but it's also a great benefit to us. God's given us the church to minister to our souls. This gathering should be a blessing to you. Don't treat this as something you can casually attend from time to time. Now, can we have fellowship with other believers and without coming to church regularly? Sure, I suppose you can. But without the church, without this regular assembly, you're missing something that is meant to bless, encourage, and sustain you in this life. You know, as we close, I want to remind us all of something, that there should really be a mutual blessing that takes place here in this gathering. 
He says, we bless the name of our Lord. My hope is that this would also be a blessing to you, that as we bless him, we are also blessed by this gathering. I hope you don't simply come in here as an auditor looking to prove your theology is superior, that you, again, it's just an intellectual exercise. I hope we don't come in here looking to meet our preferential needs. But I also hope you don't leave here disgruntled, upset, or apathetic. I pray we have hearts that love God and love each other. I hope in prayers that you are blessed by the word, that you're encouraged by the fellowship, encouraged by this time with your brothers and sisters, and that you would leave this place and go and be a blessing to the Lord and to others. You know, when we come in here on Sunday mornings, we should really come in here expectant. We should come in here expecting to exalt and elevate the name of Jesus, having our affections stirred for him, presenting worship that is pleasing to him. But we should also come in here expecting to be uh, mutually building up one another, spurring one another along to love and good works. And when we do that, God uses our faithful and humble commitment. Again, I want you to think about the church in, in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, what does it say? That they met together, devoted to the apostles' teaching, and it says that God added to their number. See, that's our hope and our prayer, that the Lord would use this assembly of faithful followers to have our members grow in their love for God, to grow in their love for each other, and to continue to mature in our faith, being equipped for the work of the ministry, and that through these faithful believers, through this congregation, through this regular assembly, that God would call the lost to repentance and that he would add to the number to those who are being saved. That's our hope and that's our desire. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you, Lord. We thank you for you are great and mighty, Lord. You are the one who saves, the one who redeems, And Lord, we thank you that you've gifted us this church. Lord, that we have this opportunity to gather together frequently with our brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray that one, when we meet, that even this time now, it will be a blessing to you. But Lord, I also pray that it would be a blessing to us, that we would build one another up, that we would leave this place today encouraged, that as we see the glory of Christ, as we are reminded of all that we have in him, that we have been saved, we have been raised from death to life, brought into this family of God, that that would compel us to leave here and go and live for you. Lord, I pray for anybody in here right now under the sound of my voice that may not know you, that may not be secure in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that even this gathering, this time, you would be working on their hearts, you would be bringing them to life, helping them to see the beauty of Christ and their desperate need for him. Lord, I pray that with the time we have left here together this morning, that we would honor you. Lord, I pray that we would leave this place and have a desire to honor you and glorify you in the way that we live and all that we say and do to the praise of your name. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.